0: What's up, future changemakers? You're listening to Impact India, a podcast that deep dives into the epic stories of social entrepreneurs and social innovation in India. Impact India is sponsored by CauseArtist, your go-to social impact lifestyle online platform for all things social goodness around the world. And I'm your host, Jasmine Rain, social entrepreneur and director of content at CauseArtist. You can connect with me on Instagram at JasmineRain. All right, no stopping us now, full speed ahead. Let's jump into today's episode. All right, everyone, welcome back to another episode of Impact India. I am so excited to be interviewing Arushi Agarwal. She is a designer for social good, connecting the stories of handmade products and their makers with consumers. Combining handicraft processes and design with a focus on the consumer experience, she is creating this beautiful element of social impact and consumer value through her venture, The Initiative. The Initiative, it provides sustainable livelihoods to low-income craftspeople through a nationwide platform that sells beautiful, functional, well-designed, and, of course, handcrafted products. The Initiative has been featured in several digital and print media, both in India and abroad. Um, and has become quite famous for their high quality, ethically made products. Um, Arushi has also been uh, an Unlimited India Fellow. She's been a Dalberg Big Bet Ambassador and was also selected to be part of the TechnoServe's Business Accelerator Program. And of course, in her spare time, she's doing all these other amazing things, including her involvement in the global shapers community, specifically in Chandigarh, where she currently resides. She also <laughs> leads the Shaping Sustainability Chandigarh Project, which I had the pleasure of being part of the first one um, speaking about uh, zero-waste living and travel uh, as part of to World. So Arushi, I'm so excited to have you. Welcome to the show. Thanks, Jasmine. Yeah, tell us a little bit about how, you know, your journey got started. What did it look like in launching the initiative?
1: Um, so you know how there's some things that you don't really go out and do. they just sort of uh, happen to you. Oh, yeah. Sure. I think um, the initiative was something like that. Um, it actually started from um, a holiday that I took at my great grandmother's house. And um, it, I would say in, in a way it was very accidental or as someone would call just maybe the universe sending out some signals. Um, but, to, but to give you a more um, specific story to it, essentially I was working with a group of uh, crafts women in this uh, village. And I realized that they had this great skill, a unique skill that wasn't really available in cities. And it was something that we could get them business for. And one thing led to another, and that's how the initiative started.
0: That's beautiful. And did you have any experience in working with uh, crafts yourself before working with this community?
1: Um, So personally, I think through a couple of different mediums. Uh, One, my school was pretty high on art and craft and needlework and things like that. And it's something that I really enjoyed through school. But I think on a, on a far more impactful level, my mother and grandmother were both, um, my, my grandmother was very, very skilled with her hands. And uh, I, I don't ever think I saw her sitting, uh, getting bored or sitting with her hands idle. She was always knitting or crocheting or doing patchwork or something or the other, right? And everything she created was created specifically for someone, keeping that person in mind. And today, even years after she's passed away, there's so many products that she made for us that we still use and that still hold a very special meaning in our lives. And I think that that's a feeling that I really wanted everyone to be able to have in some way. So my exposure to, to craft really originally came from the two of them. From my mom and my grandmom
0: uh, that's so beautiful so it was basically already like you know it was that seed was planted in you from like the day you were mm-hmm. born is what it sounds like <laughs> yeah and and kind of in my blood <laughs> yeah absolutely absolutely and uh, before we kind of dive into all of uh, everything all the wonderful you know work that you're doing with the initiative you know i was i was i was sparked to ask you a little bit about your Uh, previous professional work because you had worked in design research in Denmark uh, previously so you were Mm -hmm. working abroad and I wanted to know so you mentioned that that wasn't uh, specific to fashion or consumer retail or you know not totally directly associated with what you're doing now but you know can you talk a little bit about, about maybe how that experience kind of you know maybe fostered some kind of um entrepreneurship in you, or like how how you connect your previous professional experience to social entrepreneurship?
1: Sure. so, um, as you mentioned, I was I was working with design strategy and research in Denmark, or um, a multidisciplinary design studio, um, or like a design company actually. And I didn't like all the projects that I worked on were very far removed from what I'm doing right now. But I think at the same time, there was, there's a common thread. If one looks for it, there is this common thread running through all of it where the user is the central point, right? Everything is designed and created keeping an end user in mind. And that's how one could really link what I did there to what I'm doing now. In, I think in addition to that, you know, just the time that I spent in Scandinavia, um, looking at simple things like their dustbins you know, even even those are designed keeping the users in mind. And there is such a high value placed over there on handmade goods. And it was something that I really wished that I could bring back um, in terms of appreciation, you know, not just for myself, but even to be able to get people around me to appreciate handmade the way that, say, the Danes appreciate handmade, you know.
0: Absolutely. I feel like that's something that um, a lot of, uh, honestly, a lot of entrepreneurs and business models uh, forget to think about. Like you have to think of your consumer first, you know, what does that experience look like for them? How do you nurture that experience? How do you make it memorable? Um, I think, I think that's beautiful uh, to speak on. I think that's like a a great way to, hone in on some like very crucial advice for you know young people who are trying to get into the social impact space because yes social impact and making an impact is is crucial that's what we want to do that's what we're passionate about that's why we entered this space however you know we can't just be creating products and expect them to um, you know, to blast off and be profitable and make, and make the change that we want to see if it doesn't, you know, reflect the audience, the use, the end user um, in, in how, you know, that product might transform their lifestyle or, or, you know, be more, make their lifestyle more meaningful. Um, so I think that's, that's amazing. I love that. And I'm curious. So, you know, coming back to India, you know, what are some mm-hmm. things that you might've felt like Uh, you know maybe were some examples of where you saw things where you're like okay was the user not uh, not thought of in this process because I can think of a few different industries I think waste management is definitely one (laughs) of them where the end user was probably not so much considered but just curious on like a a high level kind of what that might have looked like for you
1: Um, I think so you know for example in Bombay which is where I'm from we have a lot of exposure to artisans and craft through a lot of really amazing foundations and platforms. Um, and one of the things that I, I did notice, I think several times over, was how you know people were trying to give space for an artisan to shine. But unfortunately, the artisan wasn't really understanding who his customer was. So his customer had changed over the last 20 years or the last 50 years. And, and somehow he had not figured that out yet, or he had not um, been able to imbibe that into the products that he was making. And so it's not that he lacked any skill. It's just that there was this disconnect. Um, and, and in that way, for example, the initiative, keeping in mind the end customer, I, I do say that we are about sustainable livelihoods, but the livelihood part comes from paying customers. So at the end of the day, if we cannot address the needs of the people who are going to be purchasing products, then we're sort of missing missing the train in a sense right um, I think also in addition to that if we if we really see like like what you mentioned that there, you can think of a couple of higher level scenarios where the end user isn't really thought about um, I think it's it's not really one specific problem area that we can really pick on but I do feel that a lot of um, a lot of stuff in India is just made and then thought about you know Uh, it's not it isn't the process doesn't start with saying okay who is this for what are their problems what are their needs let me try and address it it's more like I think this needs to be made let's make it and then let's figure out how someone can use it." And, and and that's a bit counterproductive. So um, I, I see that in a lot of places, right, from the way, say, like a municipal office functions to um, something as simple as, like you said, waste management. I remember we had um, an instruction that came in from the BMC, the Municipal Corporation, that said, put your dry waste in this white bag and put your wet waste in this black bag. Okay. And so that's what we did only to have their dump trucks come, pick up both bags, and empty them into the same container, right? Uh, so here, we were using double the amount of plastic, and the entire purpose of segregating waste was lost, just a step away from your own kitchen. Um, so I think it's 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 even simple things like that.
0: Yeah, absolutely, it drives me crazy every day. Um, <laughs> and I'm curious, so you know, like, before we kind of, look at what you know the whole process of of how the initiative um you know goes from working with your uh your your community of craftspeople to designing the products to you know giving providing or offering them to a consumer market and you know having all these beautiful elements along with it that is both sustainable on you know really on both ends i'd love for you to actually dive into you know I guess another issue is, is definitely like another industry that's facing a lot of issues within India is definitely the crafts industry and the lack of support that's been giving to helping it thrive. And I, I'd love for you to dive in, uh, give like a little, a brief overview, cause I feel like there's a lot of information to be shared there, but a brief overview of, you know, what has happened to the craft industry here in India over like, let's say like the last decade and, and where you think, um, you know, uh, the, the biggest opportunities are currently.
1: So the, the craft industry in India, in the last, I think, census that was done or the last count that was taken, I think there was something close to 7 million artisans that were accounted for, right? How many of those, uh, like, say, are the women in a certain process of finishing that aren't even accounted for? I, I can't really comment on, but I know that the number is a minimum of 7 million, and that's a huge workforce. And Currently, I think that the problem is from several angles. One, it's, it's not only a lack of support from, say, an institutional point of view. Um, it's also a lack of, for example, being able to access good quality raw materials. It's a, it's a problem of their products being undervalued and underappreciated and, un, and unsupported by customers uh, in, in, a, in, say, an urban market. I see that that's beginning to change, but it's still not, you um, know, sufficient for a, a big change to happen. You know, um, there are many setups that are really empowering and changing the lives of these artisans, uh, especially with sort of embracing technology. And I I feel that now with this like this current COVID scenario that we're in, it is um, you either embrace technology you disappear it's it's like one of that like we've come at that sort of a space um but there are some amazing organizations that are doing really great work with upskilling artisans with um you know understanding their consumers with uh, teaching them about design about um kind of uh, um, you know how to get online how to function online the the one place that i don't see that much happening unfortunately though is uh, from the government side right they they this this might be just my perception but it is quite often i feel so much about how things how things look on paper whether a project looks grand and amazing in its proposal and not so much focus on its actual execution and and that is something that i wish could change, slowly and steadily at least. Um, The the, the artisans in general, though, I think, if you see an area like Gujarat, there has been, I think, a massive change in the last couple of decades, thanks to some amazing organizations that are based there. Um, And I think that every state needs to start fostering its own crafts and providing platforms for it. I think it's the it's the only way, honestly, forward for um our crafts. And I think each of our crafts has such potential to, you know, solve problems on multiple levels. I like if you see the craft that we're working with, it is originally it used waste. And that is something that we, we can channel into so many other avenues, right? It doesn't, it doesn't need to be just a single-dimensional sort of um product in that
0: sense. Mm, absolutely. I, I'm hearing a few really good little golden nuggets in there is one, you know, the resourcefulness of uh, the crafts industry. And then two is also the, you know, access to a global, a global platform It is kind of that next step in connecting, you know, crafts people with, um, you know, making a sustainable, uh, you know, uh, income. Um, but mm-hmm. there's a there's a lot of barriers between you know uh, get, having especially because these craftspeople are usually working in communities where uh, they might not even have fully like all the techno technological needs or you know are not totally trained on the techn- the technological you know education that they need you know, how, how are you kind of challenging that? And I mean, obviously providing the platform is incredible. So, you know, you're already doing a huge, a a huge like portion of that work, but how else are you kind of challenging some of those major issues through the initiative? So,
1: I mean, so far we haven't really done much with our artisans and technology, to be honest, but with the, the coming of this lockdown and I think the, sort of space where I've had to rethink some of the ways that we're dealing with things. One of the main points on my agenda is working with our artisans to get them onto some form of technology to at least be able to communicate easily with them, right? Um, I think artisans who have access to WhatsApp we have been able to continue work with them because they are able to send us pictures. We're able to like point something out, mark it out say that, okay, can you work on this? Can you do this? Can you do that? But someone who just has a phone, like just you can only call them. It's very difficult to explain what you want them to do, or it's very difficult to explain or, or to understand what it is that they're working on at that point in time. So I, I definitely, it is on one of my biggest to do points to kind of get everyone we're working with up to speed on technology and get them to start incorporating that into their daily lives because it will add value
0: in a way that nothing else has so far. Yeah, for sure, absolutely, and I'd love to dive into a little bit about you know what that looks like as um, you know one of the craft craft persons that you might be working with, um, but I'm I'm curious before we get into that you know how did you end up connecting or, or like is the the community that you originally worked with um when you kind of got mm-hmm. the idea are they still the, the same community um that you work with today and just curious around like what that looks like in terms of location or you know is it like more of an indigenous community like what is kind of their history of crafts um, with the community that you're working with
1: so unfortunately the people that i originally started the initiative with uh, due to logistical challenges, and I think a lot of stuff that was just outlined in you know why we struggle to work with artisans mm, because of those reasons i wasn't able to continue working with them past maybe two years right um, They were in a remote village, and most of them could not even write their own names, so they were unable to um like I was unable to communicate with them in terms of sending say written instructions or um, uh, they weren't able to do something as basic as send me their products by post because they they didn't have enough confidence to go to the local post office, which was not in their village, but like a half an hour bus journey away. So it just the, I think the issues with logistics and location um, and, and, I I just wasn't able to, I think at that point in time, wrap my head around it and really figure out a way around it Um, due to which I had to sort of um, part ways with them. But what we did do as a way to keep the work going was find a local sort of uh, project that was going on where they could connect in and still be able to work to earn some money. in my head now, it's not really the ideal scenario. Like I really wish that I could still re-engage with them. But logistically, because of the distance and because of um, hindrances with um, like not being able to read and write, it was something that I had to let go of. In, in terms of the artisans that we work with now, so it's a combination of um, individual groups of artisans as well as partnerships with ngos so ngos that are already working in the livelihood space that need uh, support to provide work for the the people they're working with and as well as individuals who we've just come across along the way you know you i was working with for example this one particular group and they told some friends of theirs who told some friends of theirs and then someone called me and said you know, I live in so-and-so village and we would love to work for you. Do you have work for us? You know, um, so a lot of it was word of mouth. And uh, now it's it's a combination between um, NGO partnerships and individuals that we work with directly.
0: Mm, yeah, it seems like that tends to be kind of the new, I guess, norm for, um, mm-hmm. you know, People who are working with like crafts communities or you know um, like specific specifically skilled artisans, it seems like yeah there's so many uh, other levels of challenges around like education and empowerment that also seem to be uh, needed um, at a grassroots level before a lot of these you know more vulnerable crafts communities can actually get to a place of accessing any type of you know additional. Marketing or sales platform and um, it's it's great I'm, I, like can I, may I ask if you used like a platform kind of like a common objective or something like that?
1: Um, no, no in fact even even the NGOs that we currently work with mm-hmm. have all um, kind of been referred to us by people who came across either our work or our products or you know uh, so for example, one of the NGOs I work with was suggested to me by an ex-client and she said oh hey if you're you're going to this area you should totally meet these people they're great and you know I I think you guys will get along really well and and so I just went and met them with no intention but to just go say hello and one thing led to another and we've been working together
0: for four years now so that's amazing that's amazing Oh, very cool. I'm I'm very impressed, and I, it's got me thinking more about you know what these other layers of challenges for um, you know more vulnerable communities. Uh, I feel like that's also like another topic for another podcast, probably. I'll have to like find someone I can dive into that more with, but um, this is really beautiful. So, you know, you're working with these incredible organizations and you know, you're using a lot of textile waste to create your product. So has that always been something that these communities are, have been doing, or is it something that you introduced to them? You know, what does that look like? And, and what is that process of, 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 you know, maybe like collecting, sorting, um, and, and then creating from waste look like?
1: Um, Right. So the craft of quilt making in India, I think across the board from any state that you pick, was traditionally always done with waste. So it was um, made from old shirts, old kurtas, old anything, you know, things that like clothes that got torn were saved to be used in a quilt later in the year or later in the month whenever, you know, someone was going to work on it and traditionally that is where quilts came from they were an item of necessity and the idea was how can i make them in the cheapest way possible so what has happened along the way is that quilts have become this thing where people buy yards of fabric cut them up and then make a particular pattern in a like in a particular color palette to make them look great right but the the beauty of these traditional crafts came i guess a bit from just the uncertainty and somehow sometimes you think that oh this color won't go with this color but you look at it in one of the traditional pieces and they go together just fine there's just something about um i don't know how to explain this but it it kind of magically comes together from things that are left over so Using waste fabric for our quilts or our quilted products was was not a new idea. It's something that was very intrinsic to craft itself. What was, I think, unique about it initially to start with, though, was that I think because of my own personal interest in sustainability, I took a very conscious decision to not use fresh fabric. When I say fresh fabric, I meant I'm not going to buy five meters of a fabric, cut it up, and then make a quilt out of it. The idea was to keep this beautiful little quality of the crafts intact. And that's how the linkage into garment production waste came about. And in terms of how we really go about it, um, we have collaborators and brand partners from whom we source our waste. Um, some of them literally just pick the entire waste off of their shop, like their shop floor, put it into a, a big bag, and send it to us. <laughs> so Amazing. the process really starts from cleaning that out. I mean, we get everything from sometimes broken needles to um, you know empty thread reels, all sorts of things in it. Sharpeners, pencils—it's <laughs> a, it's a bit of a treasure trove. Okay,
0: you get to collect stationery so, along the way, huh?
1: yeah not really usable stuff (laughs) Um, but yeah so the first process is really just cleaning it out you know sorting what has come Um, after that it's sorted on the basis of size and on the basis of colors and one of the great things I think about this specific craft and working with garment production waste is we're able to use really small pieces so even like a two by two inch piece is something that we can use and we strive to use it because it's something that can't be used, say, um, like, a, like someone who is uh, quilting it on a machine or uh, stitching it on a machine. Using such small pieces becomes a challenge. But when you're working with your hands, it's just, it becomes part of the process. Um, and that's something I'm personally very proud of with all the women that we work with um that they they really they're happy to use every little bit bit and bob in it um so once we once we sort the fabrics, then what we do is we sort them into like the next level of sorting is where we put them into these colorways, so just which colors look good with the others and create these bundles for the women then after that, our intervention stops pretty much. Because the the people we're working with are craftspeople. And the way they put the piece together is their creativity, it is their expression. So as as far as possible, I try not to meddle in any of that. So we set the colors, and at max I may say, you know, hey, this fabric is really gorgeous. Try and highlight it. But I would never kind of give them a drawing and say, okay, you put this here, you put this there, you do this like this, because it is, it's a process for them to kind of go through it, right? For them to explore how they think it looks good, where they feel they can express themselves. So it's like, the idea is not to stifle their creativity. And once they make these quilted pieces, then we use those To create our products so it's
0: it's a pretty like step-by-step seemingly straightforward process yeah it's great i feel like it's sometimes it's so like abstract and obscure for for entrepreneurs to like explain their process because they're like oh well you know there's like so many little parts moving here and there but like yeah that's that's a very thorough process very also sounds like simple in theory but in a way that like it sounds productive it sounds inclusive it sounds like it brings your community together i think it's beautiful and you know i can't i can't help but like repeat this again but it just drives me crazy that like you know these these very sustainable traditional practices have always been alive in india yet you know you know mainstream business and consumers have really forgotten <laughs> what that looks like and how beautiful it is and how resourceful india has always been so i love i love talking to amazing individuals like yourself who can remind listeners of of you know what has always been alive and well and you know that we should probably start turning back towards that way of creating mm-hmm. and consuming And, you know, I think on that note, you know, oh, sorry, did you want to say something?
1: Yeah, I just wanted to add one thing that I think, you know, so you see a lot of high street brands or high fashion brands talk about one of a kind and then charge a huge amount for that product. Oh, yeah. (laughs) And it's, it's, in a sense, it's ironic, it's funny, and I love it that the inherent quality of this craft is that if you do it right every piece is one of a kind, right? It is It is not meant to be a craft that makes piece after piece, piece after piece like a production line. Um, so Absolutely. one of the things that we do talk a lot about is how all our products are one of a kind. And it does honestly create challenges on the e-commerce way because it means photographing each and every product. But it is so worth it, right? Because we are able to keep that um, that creativity for the artisan. We are able to keep the um, truthfulness of the craft. We're able to keep all of that and yet
0: bring a product out to somebody that is as true as it can be. A hundred percent. And I'm a true believer that like, you know, the power of story is really what unites us all as a global community. And, you know, the the, the story within even just, you know, a small product, uh, can, can have a lot of impact on, on you and how you treat that product and what it represents to you and, you know, how it lives out its life with you. And, um, mm-hmm. I, you know, one of a kind products and, you know, the fact that, you know, absolutely that everything is, has its own individual character and colors and there's little imperfections like that I think is what is beautiful. And I, I think that is way more meaningful and inspiring than like, you know, picking up the same blue t-shirt that everybody has from their like local h&m so 100 percent. I, I couldn't agree more and and yeah i think this is like a perfect segue into kind of like winding down our in our, our episode here but you know speaking of that you know we've been in okay so it's today is today is may 13th so it's like mm-hmm. day like 49 or something of lockdown covid mm-hmm. you know has come in and completely disrupted our lives and completely change uh, the consumer market, uh, specifically in the fashion industry. And, you know, I'd love to hear your thoughts as we kind of close up is, you know, what do you think the world will look like in terms of how we consume when we come out of quarantine? Do What do you think maybe, you know, is that one specific action that We all need to be responsible for for ensuring that we don't actually revert back to our old ways of overconsumption and start consuming more meaningfully um, and being more resourceful with what we have and what we need.
1: I think if we can all be aware and be mindful, that's a great place to start. Um, I have two voices in my head. Um, Honestly, the cynic in me believes that A lot of people will just get out of this lockdown and go back to their old ways. But the optimist in me believes that this quarantine has jolted a lot of people out of their slumber. So out of their denial and ignorance of a lot of things. And I hope that that sort of becomes um, a starting point for change for at least them. When we come out of this quarantine, I think a lot of people aren't really going to be spending on much more than the essentials. Uh, I just spoke to someone yesterday, in fact, who said that she realized that she can live for 45 plus days with just five pairs of clothes that she's wearing day in and day out. And (laughs) (laughs) And she said that I've told my husband that for the next six months, at least after the lockdown is lifted, I'm not going to buy a single thing other than groceries, like other than food or, you know, things that are needed in the kitchen. Beyond that, I'm not going to buy anything else. So that is, as as someone who runs a, a business that is based on product, that is a bit scary. And I do see a lot of people going down that path. But at the same time, I feel that it's it's a necessary evil, right? How else will someone really appreciate what they have? kind of love their products well enough. Um, so I'm, I'm sort of, there is a little more optimism in me than cynicism. And I think that it's um, it will have some effect for the better on consumers. And in, in terms of individuals, right? Like how could each of us really um, be, like use this to make a change is, um, as I said in the start, like just be aware and be mindful, ask questions and really like take time to think through our purchases. So a lot of that impulse shopping, maybe that will change now where we will only buy things that we really, really love. And, and hopefully those things then stay with us for years and years to come.
0: Absolutely. Thank you for leaving us with an inspiring ending to, to our episode. I feel like sometimes I always like end up asking this awful drooling question at the end and everyone's <laughs> like, Oh God, everything is the worst. But I think, yeah, I have a lot of hope. Uh, I want to have a lot of hope in humanity. So I think it's important Correct. that we continue to nurture that as people within the social impact space. Um, so thank you so much for sharing and um it, it's going to be. It's definitely going to be interesting. Obviously, as a product-based, you know, or uh, uh, you know, uh, venture, it's it's definitely scary. But I think also during this time is people are, or I hope they are. I think most people are are reconnecting with the fact that like we need to have human connection. We need to have connection mm-hmm. with what we own, what we buy, what's around us, the environment that we build. It is what nurtures our mindset. Um, it's what, you know, it, it nurtures our mental health and for so long we have been avoiding and running away from these conversations and these conflicts and these, you know, uh, just situations or, or trauma is that we haven't fully, uh, you know, dove into or forgiven or, um, you know, solved. So I think in this time, I hope that communities are coming together to do that, you know, together individually so that we can make better choices continually, because it's not just, you know, conscious living isn't just what you're buying. It's also, you know, how you thrive in, in every part of your life. So thank you so much yeah. for what you do. Uh, thank you so much for, for chatting with me today. And, you know, if, if our listeners are looking to get in touch with you, you know, where is the best place to find you online? So our
1: website is uh, www.theinitiative.in and they can kind of check us out there on Instagram where underscore the initiative and also we're contactable on email which is hello at the initiative.in. Um if I if I also may just um one last thing that I wanted to add, yeah, of course was I'd I'd like to sort of While I did say that being a product-based business is a bit scary right now, and it it certainly is, um, I'd like to just put this out there as well, that if if all of us can support local and traditional and sort of cherish what we truly have and what we would choose to buy, sort of realize that conscious living, sustainability, well-being, these are not these are not destinations, right? They're journeys. And and maybe we can use this as a start point for our journeys if we're not already on them.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. Thank you for that. <laughs> awesome. Well, Arushi, thank you again. It's been so lovely having you on the on and uh, I know that we will we will be connecting again soon and of course for our listeners uh, all the details to get in touch with Rishi will be in the show notes and um, thank you so much for listening thanks so much Ha! feeling inspired? see what other impact stories we have to share over on causeartist.com be sure to subscribe for weekly updates from Grant and I about content, giveaways and new episodes from Disruptors for Good and Impact India Looking to learn more about social impact and conscious living in India? Hit me up on Instagram at Jasmine Ray. Cheers, friends.